This is Fresh Shed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we explore the response of the Finnish education system to the COVID-19 pandemic. Unlike many countries with children out of school, the narrative of learning loss never emerged. In fact, as Posse Sauberg tells me, the opposite happened. Most teachers and schools, uh, you know, rather than asking about this learning loss, what the kids may have lost, is that, you know, what, what the kids have learned. Posse Sauberg is a professor of education policy at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. He's been a regular on Fresh Ed for the past five years. His latest books include Finnish Lessons 3.0, What Can the World Learn from Educational Change in Finland, and In Teachers We Trust, The Finnish Way to World-Class Schools, which was co-authored with Tim Walker. Today, we discuss these books in relation to the pandemic. Posse Salberg, welcome back to Fresh Ed. Thank you, Will. Good to be with you. So can you tell me a little bit about what happened in Finland when the coronavirus hit? Uh, yes, of course. This was in the mid-March uh, when the government in Finland decided to close all the public buildings. And it's it's important because the schools were actually, there was no decision to close the schools particularly, but the all public buildings uh, were closed, which practically meant that schools were closed as well, so the kids could, couldn't go to school. I, I think what is interesting here is that this happened on mid-March on Monday, I think it was 18th of March, and everything became in effect on Wednesday, so basically 36 hours later. So schools really basically had that Tuesday, one day to figure out what to do. And I, I'm saying that this is important because, you know, this also shows how quickly the locally governed schools that have fair amount of autonomy to decide how to figure out easier things and now it is harder things you know how they how, how do they operate so on wednesday morning uh, everything was in a remote mode except the uh, the early childhood the kindergartens were in, in working and uh, some schools remained open for children with these special needs those who really couldn't stay at home so so that was how quickly it happened and the the first um, period was for four weeks Uh, and it was immediately then extended for another four weeks. So it was about two months uh, of closure. And that's what happened. There was a debate in mid-May whether the kids should return to school at all, whether they should just you know stay home and then come to school in August. Many of the medical experts were using the argument that children actually need to see one another and they need to see their teachers and they need to have this kind of idea that they have this place called school in a, in a difficult time like this. So they the kids returned to school for a couple of weeks and, and then went to summer holidays in the first of June. So that was the kind of like how technically this uh, uh, this thing um, happened. And I think, you you, you know, it, it really shows also the, not necessarily how ready the Finnish system was uh, to Uh, cope with the crisis and catastrophe like like this one but you know what what it means to be a flexible and creative system uh, run by professional educators i want to get into some of the specifics here so the did the minister of education make the decision to close the schools the government as a whole 
decided to close the public buildings. Uh, so, so there was not really a decision to close the schools themselves, but because of the, the public buildings were closed, so the schools couldn't uh, remain open. But the Ministry of Education and the government uh, made a decision uh, regarding the early, the younger children, the, the, the kindergartens and early childhood uh, schools. But, you know, there has been a debate whether the schools were actually closed or not, uh, because the, the buildings were closed, but the schools continued working uh, remotely for most of the kids. So, okay, and that, that would be my next question. So when the children weren't going into the physical building, they were at home and it was, did they transition mostly to, to online learning on Zoom or was it sort of asynchronous? What happened with the actual learning from home? Yes, you know, again, because the, the Finnish system is a, is a decentralized. So we have 310 municipalities and 3,000 schools. And, you know, these municipalities can have a very different ways of running the schools and dealing with the teachers. So there was a quite a bit of uh, differences in terms of what actually happened. Um, the interesting thing was that the note from the central authorities to local governments, you know, those municipalities that run the schools and the, and the principals themselves, basically was to say that, you know, this is a framework and keep everybody safe and figure out what is the best way to do, it. you know, how, how you want to organize this remote learning. And therefore, you know, if you if you went to see schools in different parts of the country, you probably would see a little bit different practices. In some places, schools were more ready for digital, remote, online learning, and some other places, they were using some other means and organizing, you know, students' work and 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 teaching in a different ways. But overall, I think it was um, considered as a fairly successful way of doing that. And and since then, there has not been kind of a nation system wide closure of schools or remote learning uh, thing until un until now when there's a difficult situation with the third wave uh, it may lead to uh, you know shifting all the upper secondary schools to remote learning what would you say is the reason behind sort of the the success of the Finnish education system handling covid at least for the first one or two waves and Maybe let's not talk about what's happening now since it's a bit unknown. But what would you point to to say that this is why the, the schools responded so well? Yeah, I think the couple of things, two or three things. One, of course, is the, the flexibility, how the, how the system is designed in a flexible way. And honestly, well, I, I think that, you know, when we are putting together lessons uh, after this pandemic is one day over, that this will be one of these system level uh, lessons that we learned that you know if, if the if the system education system has flexibility in terms of decide how it's going to run itself and uh, ha have a kind of a more flexible assessment and curriculum uh, systems that they are likely to you know find it find it easier to navigate through the difficult times so this uh, this this is certainly one of the one of the things that you know Finnish colleagues and and people recognize then the other one is uh, definitely to have a highly professional stuff in schools you know finland is known as one of those places where teachers and principals are fairly high educated and trained and they in in this crisis situation they could be easily compared to medical doctors and kind of a health experts in the country that the you know the authorities and parents and many others could trust and rely on their professional judgment in terms of what is best way to keep everybody safe and this was this was really an important and interesting reaction by the system that the the primary concern among 
educators was not, you know, how do we teach all this stuff that is in a curriculum or how, how do we prepare kids for exams? But it, it was that, you know, how do we make sure that everybody's safe and, and what is the role of school to keep everybody safe? And then thirdly, as, as I describe in the um, in Teachers with Trust book that was uh, just published, is the, the trust by the basically by the whole society in teachers and schools and, and certainly the level of trust that the authorities and politicians have in schools' ability to, you know, find better solutions in difficult situations and in normal situations regarding, you know, what to do in a school. So, so those are some of the, some of the aspects that have been widely acknowledged in in Finland as as the ways that have made things a little bit easier to handle. I find it interesting that there wasn't a discourse around you know, the students losing out on curriculum time because of online learning or because schools were, you know, closed for all, you know, most respects. So there wasn't this narrative of learning loss. I mean, it seems strange to me, even though because the World Bank talks about it, you hear it in the US and the UK. I mean, it seems like it's such a big topic right now when it comes to COVID and education. Yeah, but, you know, it's interesting, this whole learning loss narrative is mostly created, initiated and, and maintained by those standardized testing enthusiasts. You know, those people who are really seeing education as something that will prepare kids for tests. And then we know whether education is good or bad by, you know, looking at these test results. And most people by now should know that, you know, Finland is not one of those countries that is driven by these uh, mandatory standardized tests for everyone or census-based tests as we as we call them and you know the absence of these census-based assessments in Finland of course creates an environment in the country where nobody needs to be worried about you know learning losses uh, or test core drops because there are no tests available and again another lesson that i, I mentioned this uh, flexibility thing uh, before you know this will be another big conversation and it, it is actually already in many parts that do we really need that type of system of uh, heavy standardized tests and examinations that will when the times go difficult like with this pandemic will lead to completely unnecessary conversations like this learning loss thing that doesn't really mean anything you know if you if you think about this whole, whole learning loss thing what are we what are people talking about when they're talking about learning loss like is it is it about that the kids would kind of forget something or they would lose something or how do we measure these things we can never reliably measure the, anything anything like like learning loss. You know, the other thing here uh, is that in the Finnish system, uh, unlike with these uh, standardized testing enthusiasts who have been creating and, and maintain this narrative of learning losses uh, in the Finnish system and many other uh, education systems as well, you know, people are equally interested in, you know, students learning that goes beyond literacy and numeracy. This is something that I think, you know, if there, if there have been any conversations in Finland about learning or children losing something it's mostly about issues about their mental health or social uh, relationships in the school or you know those children who need school more than more than others that they may have may have been losing a kind of a more holistic uh, thing for themselves but you know this narrative of losing something in in reading and mathematics is completely absent in finland it's interesting in finland do they ever has there been a conversation about anything that students might have learned during the pandemic, not simply a loss, but actually a, a gain, you know, learning gained during this 
really strange moment in our lives. At the level of uh, Finnish educators, teachers uh, and principals, this is definitely a kind of a main uh, narrative. Of course, there are some people who are, you know, they're concerned about older students, you know, final examination scores. And, you know, if they have been locked down in their, their homes or the, the schools have been closed, that they may, may have been, you know, losing something. But most teachers and schools are, you know, rather than asking about this learning loss, what the kids may have lost while they have not been able to study properly with them, uh, is that, you know, what, what the kids have learned. And that's a, that's much more positive uh, conversation i think most finnish educators also understand that children compared to what they were one year ago when we went into this pandemic uh, and what what they are now that they are completely different kids you know you you look at the same children now compared to what they were one year ago you know they have learned a lot of things about this horrible pandemic but they have also learned a lot of things about themselves their their parents uh, the importance of social human relationships Many of them, they have built empathy and resilience. And, you know, unless we make those things um, visible in the schools by, you know, wise and smart teachers who are able to create these conversations, we will never get to the level of really having a good conversation about these important things that children have been learning and gaining. But, you know, on the other hand, it's... um, complicated issue because those things are very hard to measure so if you happen to be a kind of a measurement oriented individual uh, then you have, of course your question is that you know how do we measure these things that kids have kids have learned and you know as as everybody knows that you know children are very different they come from different circumstances and what one child may have learned during this pandemic at home with with a family and friends can be completely different than somebody else who is coming from the different different circumstances. So so that's why, again, this requires a much more kind of a professional approach and attitude to education and teaching and learning that I think Finland is fairly well prepared to do. It's an interesting insight into the Finnish system, which you have obviously looked at for quite some time. You've taught in the system, you've written extensively about the system, and when you first wrote your book, Finnish Lessons, in 2011, I think was the first edition that came out, you know, Finland was at the top of these league tables, even if they didn't necessarily really take on the idea of standardized tests and, and, and promoting them. They were actually at the top of, of PISA, for instance. But what has happened since? Uh, yeah, it's about 10 years now since the first edition was written. And... You know, I remember when the the Finnish lessons came out um, ten years ago. I think I think we had this conversation right after the uh, the book uh, in your podcast as well. And when people ask me, and when still when people ask me now that what is the main takeaway from uh, from the kind of a first ten years of Finland being recognized internationally as a as a kind of a serious education nation, my kind of a one liner was that there is another way to build a successful education system than the one that was by then dominated the Anglo-Saxon model, if you wish. But, you know, I, I sometimes I call it the, the global education reform movement idea that is built on competition and testing and standardization and you know, all those things. And so, so that was the situation 10 years ago. Then the, the second edition, the Finnish Lessons 2.0, came out 2015. 
And there my kind of intention and focus was to try to bust the, some of the common myths about Finnish education system, like there's no homework in Finland or, or that the, the Finland is recruiting the best and the brightest into teaching or the, or the Finnish schools are abolishing all the subjects. And, and so there's a lot of that type of misunderstandings going on. So, so there have been these kind of a narratives and stories uh, behind this. So what is this Finnish Lessons 3.0 doing now? And this comes back to your, your question is that here in this edition, I'm, I'm really basically I'm answering this question that what went wrong? Or if anything, is, is there anything that went wrong? Because, you know, you can you can take a look at, for example, the OECD PISA results, and it doesn't which way you turn them around or look at you. There's only one conclusion is that Finland is not what it used to be 10 years ago when the first edition came out. So the, the Finnish students' test scores are, they are down, the equity or equality of the society and the system is going backwards. And, you know, the young people in Finland are not the same that they were 10 years ago. So I'm I'm talking about all these things and try to kind of speculate and build an arguments uh, that would explain why this inconvenient development um, has happened. So I invite people to you know take a look at the book and and read and let me know how you find this. The only thing I want to say here is that. Uh, you know, when people were asking me 10 years ago uh, with the first edition that why Finland has been successful and what, what explains the Finnish secret formula to uh, the best being the best education system in the world, my response was that it's a, it's a very difficult and hard thing to explain. And it's equally difficult now to give a kind of a full answer to the question that what is going wrong, that why, why, the, why the development has turned negative. What are some factors? I mean, if you want to give us a little sneak peek... One of those things that, and again, I must stress that, you know, if you ask ask different people in, in Finland the same question, you're going to probably hear a little bit different things. But one thing that has definitely played a role is the um, the aftermath of 2008 global financial crisis that had a particular negative effect on, on Finnish economy and the government or governments actually had to make or made uh, very significant cuts in education budgets that was often translated in practice into reducing numbers of support staff in particularly in a remote and rural schools in a in a kind of a less uh, wealthy municipalities and local governments special education system was uh, kind of a downgraded rather than upgraded as it was supposed to <laughs> Uh, have been done at that point so so it meant that more of those kids in Finland who needed more help were actually studying in the mainstream classrooms without appropriate support and help and I think what supports this this type of theory is that if you look at the Finland's PISA data for example compared to 2009 what has uh, been particularly visible change is the Uh, hugely increased number of low-performing students. And interestingly, among these low-performing students, like really low-performing students, those those who perform below uh, PISA level two, basically that who don't have a proper performance in, in reading and mathematics and science, uh, increased significantly, and they were mostly boys. Uh, so this leads me to, and, and many other people also to, you know, to ask this question that, you know, why why this has trust happened among boys much more than girls. The Finnish girls, by the way, are still performing like Singapore. So if Finnish boys were like the boys in the other OECD countries on average, meaning that they would outperform girls in mathematics and science, and girls have always been better readers. 
but in Finland girls outperform boys in all these three subjects. So if Finnish boys were like boys across the OECD, Finland would still be the top performer in the OECD. So this is the question that we need to ask as well is that, you know, what ha- what's happening with the Finnish boys? And, you know, again, my theory is that they have been particularly affected by the digital media and uh, technologies in different forms. And they spend more time, you know, playing games and, you know, hanging in the internet, whatever they do they sleep less and particularly the amount of time Finnish boys spent reading for pleasure has basically disappeared so so the boys don't don't really read anymore and anybody who knows anything about PISA type of questions you know if you're not good reader if you don't read you know reading even mathematics and science test items becomes a kind of a hard thing to do so so these are some of those things that I'm seeing there have been changes in a society in the system you know how education is funded uh, or not funded properly but then there has been also significant changes among young people how they behave how they spend their time and how they perceive school how ready they are actually learning the school or or not so but again this is incomplete response but some of those things are definitely Uh, those that we need to consider it's quite it's an interesting insight because with the covid response by Finnish schools that you articulated earlier there's still such a level of trust in teachers there's still a level of flexibility and professionalism that allows the schools to sort of respond to crises but those schools are still embedded in a larger political economy and you know other sort of cultural shifts at play that then ultimately impact on the system of education, like the the economic crisis, which then reduces government budgets on education, or as you're talking about the sort of changing patterns of of what it means to be a, a male adolescent growing up in, in a digitalized culture, right? And so you can't really separate a lot of these bigger forces from the schooling system. And that, that's a really nice insight in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if if I look around the world, countries that have been and continue to be in the same or similar situation of Finland, often the system's response is exactly the opposite. The, the, the governments in that type of situation where Finland uh, has been now for, for a number of years, uh, I'm referring to the PISA data and, and also the domestic research, The responses are often, you know, tightening the government control, creating new standards, uh, you know, focusing more on numeracy and literacy and, you know, testing and collecting evidence like what we hear uh, in Australia, for example. But the Finnish response seems to be probably even more autonomy, even more kind of a trust in, in schools and teachers ways to, you know, first of understand the problem and understand the seriousness of the problem and then go and figure out find the best solutions for each and every local case and i think it's a very smart way to respond to this because you know this your earlier question about what is happening in finland and what should we do there's no one kind of a standard response you know what works what may work in one school or one community may be a completely unnecessary or, or counterproductive in in some others. And this is what the Finnish authorities and system understands that, you know, we are looking at a very diverse system in a, in a way, although the country is still fairly homogeneous in many ways, but people understand that the best way to turn around this uh, inconvenient development in education is to, you know, trust schools and local communities ability to, to you know figure out and find the best ways to do the right thing 
So how can school systems trust teachers and how can government and communities trust school systems? Like what are some principles that we can focus on to understand how trust actually operates in practice? Yeah, with uh, with Tim Walker, we we actually tell readers a book long story about that. We also include there, you know, some some of those things that you should not expect or you should not try to do, and those are like treat trust as a project uh, or education reform. You know, have a have a ref- education reform that aims at building trust, uh, because you know often these. Uh, these types of reforms just work against the the basic principle that they try to do. So I I think instead you know if if you look at the Finnish story and we we actually go you know take our readers back to early 1990s when this trust building uh, started. I I think the key notion there is that trust is part of the culture. It's something that it's not the project. It's not the product. It's not something that it's not the law or education reform, it's it's a part of the culture that you have to build. And you build the culture of trust just like you build any other elements in your own cultures, whatever it is. People understand that it takes time, it takes kind of a significant amount of systematic work, honesty to, you know, your, your principles. And in Finland, you know, it required the, the whole set of concrete deeds that the, the politicians and political system and the authorities did. For example, that we abolished the national inspection system. Uh, that was very hard in England, for example, to understand that why anybody would do away such an important, iconic <laughs> institution as an inspectorate. But we did because we we understood that how the teachers and schools kind of read that type of reform is that so when the inspectorate is gone and nobody's going to inspect us, so you must, must kind of... A, trust our own work and our own way of inspecting these things. We also abolished the um, textbook approval. That was a huge thing in early 1990s in Finland. And we told uh, teachers and schools that, you know, you can choose whatever you want to use in your teaching and learning that you think works for the kids. The same response came from schools. That so you trust our judgment to find out what <laughs> what is good for kids. So, yes, we do. And then probably more importantly, most importantly, the 1994 national curriculum reform that basically shifted the national central control of the curriculum and, and syllabi to the schools and local governments to figure out, you know, what, what not only, you know, how to teach, but, you know, what is the content and how the curriculum uh, or local curriculum should be structured and which order people want to teach these things. So, so that was a really, really, really important thing. But then there were kind of a parallel lines with these concrete things that the government and authorities uh, were doing, like systematically building the professional of professionalism uh, within the teaching profession itself. And this is again something that you cannot announce. That you can, you cannot make a a speech and say that now we are teachers are professionals. You have to really show that it means something collaboration is another one that is a really important part of the the trust you know if you if you remove the collaboration and bring competition in the system as it is in many other places it's, it's you know trusting one another becomes a really hard thing to do and then probably i think that the kind of final chapter of of this trust building culture in finland is something that has happened during the last five years or so and it is you know engaging students even more in deciding what they want to learn, how they want to learn, 
you know, many people have heard about these um, problem-based projects that every school now has to do by law, basically, uh, where the the law is uh, requiring that the students they must have say in in what they want to study and how it will be assessed. So I, I think that this this idea of trust seen as a culture is a critically important and then you need to do a kind of a concrete things to show and prove teachers and others that we are serious about it. Do you think the COVID-19 pandemic and the sort of crisis response that Finland had to enact rather quickly and to some success as we we talked about earlier do you think that's going to have any impact on this culture of trust that has taken so many decades to sort of build up and and sort of co-create with students and teachers and families and politicians? Uh, like, is is COVID-19 going to have some long-lasting impact, or is it going to be more of an epiphenomenon? It's a it's a good question, Will, and we really we really do not know. But you know, all the signs currently right now in Finland speak in favor of. Um, you know, everybody in the country understanding the importance and the power of trust. Um, and most people also understand that if the trust goes away, distrust will be uh, catastrophic in a system like this. And, you know, in, often in Finland, we say, as we write in the book, that trust arrives on foot, but it leaves on horseback. Meaning that, you know, it takes a long time to build this trust. And this is what Finnish people understand. And they also understand the value of trust. But when you lose it, if, if you do something, if you do wrong things, or you let the trust disappear, it's, it's going to go very, very quickly. And then the building this becomes uh, much more complicated. But, you know, we have in, uh, I think that in the Finnish society overall, where the trust is a, is a kind of a hallmark of value or principle of the whole society that people understand that Finland has been able to accomplish many other things in other areas because of the kind of a fairly strong social capital and trust in the society so they they also can value this trust when it comes to education um, and how the schools are and, and te- teachers are treated so I think I, I wouldn't be so much concerned about something happening to this particular part of the educational culture this trusting uh, quite opposite i would probably argue that we're going to see even more valuing uh, what the teachers have been doing what they continue to do and thereby you know trusting schools kind of a strengthening the, the trust in schools that there has been already well Pasi salberg thank you so much for joining Freshet again it's always a pleasure to talk and and i look forward to having you back on the show the next time you have a book out thank you very much will Pasi Sauberg is a professor at the University of New South Wales. His new books are Finnish Lessons 3.0 and In Teachers We Trust with Tim Walker. A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Fresh Ed's team includes Sherry Yang, Lushik Waba, Fatih Aktas, Ing Jung Cho, Obafemi Ungunle, Diang Jian, Joe Fei, Annabella Boteng, Anya Lin, and Phyllis Manash. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of the Open Society Foundations, NORAG, and listeners like you. 
please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.